So today we are starting Promises, Promises. And let me just say, as we start this series, I'm going to put out a a very clear uh, disclaimer here. Let me tell you what this series is not going to be about, in case you're wondering. This is not a pro-Donald Trump series, okay? Despite that opening, that closing line in that, in that video, this is not a political series at all. We're not even going to really be talking about politics. I happen to think, correct me if I'm wrong, I happen to think that the body of Christ can make America great. Not by changing the political atmosphere of this nation, but by living out our faith, following God's lead with things that he puts on our hearts. So this series is going to be about how we, as the body of Christ, can make the world a better place. Because politicians shouldn't be the only ones making promises in this day and age. You know, in times like these, promises get thrown around by politicians all the time. It's hard for a politician to to show up anywhere at a campaign rally or on the television without making a promise or two along the way to the people who are listening, right? I mean, it's just natural. Those promises just kind of roll off their tongues. But only 3% of Americans actually believe that any politician who gets elected to office will actually follow through on those promises, believe it or not. Our hope, as it's very clear, is not in the politicians. Yet we follow through and we vote in case they're able to do anything that could be of help. But let me ask you a question. What if we did more than just listen to the politicians and vote? What if we actually listened to the heart of God and we made a promise or two ourselves? Not just empty promises, but promises that we intended to keep. What would those kinds of promises look like in your life and mine? We're going to be talking about in this series how the body of Christ can change the world. But first, I want us to start this series by talking about the empty or the broken promises that you and I experience in our lives at times. You know, I think it's pretty safe to say that each one of us has had a broken promise or two in our lives, right? Someone who made a promise or made a commitment to us and they didn't follow through. Maybe for you, you think back when I mentioned that, you think all the way back to being a kid and your mom or your dad, they made a promise or a commitment to you and they didn't follow through. Maybe for you, it was that trip to Disneyland. They always promised you was going to come next summer and it just never seemed to happen. Or maybe for you, it was to have quality time with your mom or your dad. And it was always later, later. We'll, We'll do that later. I'm really busy, but later we'll spend some quality time together and later never seem to come. Or or maybe for you, it was that game or that performance and you so look forward to being able to to show off what you had learned to your mom or your dad or someone else in the family and they promised they would be there and they didn't follow through. And they let you down. Maybe for you, it wasn't your parents. Maybe your parents were perfect, but, you know, in your mind, but maybe it was a friend and there was a time in your life when you just... You really needed to lean on that friend and they promised you that they would be there for you, that they would help in that real time of need and they were just a no-show. They didn't show up and they, they weren't there for you and you decided in that moment that it was foolish to have any expectations of other people or to trust anyone else ever again because that, that broken promise, that empty promise really hurt. Maybe for you, you've made a promise or two to yourself or to God to get disciplined or to kick a habit at some point in your life. And it went good for a while, right? But then life got crazy and you just kind of lost that promise. And as a result of that, you felt a little broken and maybe a little pessimistic about yourself and being able to actually change that area of your life. You know, one of the most painful broken promises that there is in this world today is around 
uh, a, pr- a promise or a commitment that we so easily make at the marriage altar. And that is to love and to honor our future spouse until death, right? I mean, many of us have said those words, I commit for better or for worse in sickness and in health, right? And when that, broken, when that promise is broken for whatever reason, it causes all sorts of pain and damage, doesn't it? To each other, pain to the kids, and that pain can last for years. It makes us want to say at times, well, Dave, why even bother making any promises at all? I mean, what's the point? Isn't it better to just never promise or commit to anything than to, to do so and to risk disappointing other people or disappointing God? I mean, what does the Bible have to say about this, about promises and commitments? Any idea? I think this is a really good question and an appropriate question that we should be looking at as we're living in the world we live in today. And what we're going to actually see this morning as we kick off this series on promises is this. Empty promises, empty promises, they promise only pain. But we honor God when we follow his lead and then follow through. Today we're going to be looking at a story in the Bible of a very godly and faithful man, a man who kept his promises, yet also a man that the Bible teaches us we should never be like. Now have I thoroughly confused you yet? Turn with me, if you would, to Judges chapter 11. Judges 11. It's near the front of your Bible, maybe seven or so books in. And we're going to look at the story of a man named Jephthah. Now, this is a very unusual story. It's a story that you may not have even known was in the Bible, and that's okay. I bet you've never, I certainly bet you've never heard a sermon on Jephthah. And by the time I'm done this morning, maybe y'all have figured out why you've never heard one before. But we'll see. But it's a story that can teach us when to make promises and when not to. So, Judges chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Take a, take a listen to this. Now, Jephthah of Gilead was a great warrior. He was the son of Gilead, but his mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also had several sons, and when these half-brothers grew up, they chased Jephthah off the land. You will not get any of our father's inheritance, they said, for you are the son of a prostitute. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. Soon he had a band of worthless rebels following him. Now, this story, it starts off kind of sad, doesn't it? But I tell you, this this story, as we dig into this this morning, it's going to take a lot of different twists and turns. Now, what we see here is this this guy, Jephthah, he was a a, a strong guy. He was was a warrior kind of a guy. I mean, he was also a leader. I mean, right now he's got worthless rebels following him, but at least he is a leader. And um, in verse 29, if you look a little bit ahead, what you're going to see there is that he was a godly man. It says that God's spirit rested on this guy. In fact, if you flip over to Hebrews chapter 11, toward the end of the Bible, for many of you know what that, that Hebrews chapter 11 is called the Faith Hall of Fame. And it lists all these great men and women of God who accomplish these great things for God because of their tremendous faith in the power of God. And believe it or not, Jephthah is one of the ones in that chapter. He's in the Faith Hall of Fame. Now, as we went through the first few verses of this just now, what we saw in verses 2 and 3 is that Jephthah was the child of a broken promise, wasn't he? His son, he was the son of Gilead and a prostitute. And he was run off by his half-brothers a little bit later in life as they grew into adulthood. 
Now, his brothers, as we start to get into this story, what we find out is that his brothers, the ones that were born of Jephthah's wife, uh, they became leaders in the community. They became the elders of the community while Jephthah was run off to another land and he was hanging out with worthless rebels, verse 3 says. Yet, I just love this. God has a way, doesn't he, to use us even in our brokenness, despite our past. Now, as this story unfolds in verses 7 and 8, what we see is that these brothers who chased Jephthah off, these brothers are facing a dilemma. That dilemma is that this warring nation called the Amorites, they're about to attack uh, this area where they were living, where his brothers and his parents and his dad are still living. And at this moment, these elders in the community, which happen to be Jephthah's brothers, right? These elders in the community are starting to say, you know what? Who's going to defend us against these Ammonites? These are some pretty rough dudes. And they were determined to come in and take all of their land away and run them off. And in this moment, they had this realization. Only Jephthah can really get us out of this mess. Only Jephthah is strong enough, he's a a leader type, who can actually lead a group of us and attack the Ammonites and actually have a remote chance of winning. And so these brothers, who had run Jephthah off, calling the child of a prostitute, these brothers now come back to their half-brother with their tail tucked between their legs, and they ask Jephthah for a favor. And they make all the promises they can think of. They say, you know what, Jephthah, if you'll, we realize you're upset with us. We realize you don't like us right now. But hey, we really need you. And if you would do this for us, if you, would, if you would step in and you would lead us and you would help us to defeat the Ammonites, hey, you know what we'll do? We'll make you mayor. We'll make you the leader, the ruler of our area if you can just defeat these guys. Now, in verses 12 through 28, now I'm not going to read all this. We're going to jump back into the story in just a minute. But in verses 12 through 28, what we see is that Jephthah steps up and he starts talking to the Ammonites and he wisely tries to broker some sort of diplomacy with them. He's trying to reason with them, trying to help them see that going to battle is not a good idea. But the Ammonites are just determined. They're taking the land and they're not listening to a thing Jephthah has to say. So they're like, no way, Jephthah, not interested. Go talk to somebody else. We're going to attack. Jephthah has a political career in the making here. (laughs) But he also sees that this story could end and end badly, right, if he loses. So what does he do? He makes God a promise. Now, he thinks that bargaining with God is going to somehow help him win against the Ammonites. He basically goes to God and says, hey, God, listen, if you would do something for me, I'll do something for you. And here is where Jephthah totally screws up. Best of intentions but he screws up. He makes an empty promise. Look at verse 29. The story continues. At that time, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he went throughout the land of Gilead and Manasseh, including Mitzvah and Gilead, and from there he led an army against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. He said, If you give me victory over the Ammonites... I will give to the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph. I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. So Jephthah led his army against the Ammonites, and the Lord gave him victory. He crushed the Ammonites, devastating about 20 towns from Aurora to an area named Meneth and as far away as Abel-Karamon. 
In this way, Israel defeated the Ammonites. So how about that? This, this godly guy, he, he makes this promise to God and God answers, right? Hollywood finish. God delivers Israel. Cue the music, right? And they all live happily ever after. Right? Well, not exactly. This is where the story gets a little bit ugly. Look at verse 34. When Jephthah returned home to Mitzvah, his daughter came out to meet him, playing on a tambourine and dancing for joy. She was his one and only child. He had no other sons or daughters. When he saw her, he tore his clothes in anguish. Oh, my daughter, he cried out, you have completely destroyed me. You've brought disaster on me, for I have made a vow to the Lord and I cannot take it back. Now, clearly, this guy Jephthah thought that an animal was going to be the first thing to come out of his house when he got home. I mean, uh, he probably, like most people back in that day, he, they had goats and sheep in and out of their house constantly. They kept them as pets. They kept them in the house in the evenings. And so he just assumed, he just figured that when I got home, you know, there, some goat or some sheep will come walking out my door and I'll make that a sacrifice. But that's not what happens, is it? Now... I have to tell you, as I read this story, I asked myself a couple of questions. And maybe you're thinking about the same two questions that I was asking myself a few days ago when I read this story. Number one question that was on my mind was why? Why would Jephthah make a promise like that to God, right? Why did Jephthah feel the need to bargain with God? I mean, God's spirit rested on him. Why did he feel like he needed to cut a deal with God to get God to do what he needed? Clearly, He thought that cutting a deal and putting some weight behind his words was going to help his case with God before the Ammonites attacked. Now, let me explain to you what's going on here a little bit. Back in ancient times, people tended to try to want to impress or to make a point by swearing on something. These days, people prefer to just drop four-letter words or to take God's name in vain when they're trying to make a point about something, right? But back in those days, you swore by heaven or something else really big, and that was your way of emphasizing your point. Whether you were talking to someone else in town, or even if you were talking to God, people back then, they would, they would make these kinds of promises or they would swear things to God to try to make a point to God to try to gain his favor. Now, Jesus confronted this behavior when he was on earth in Matthew chapter 5. He said that making such promises like that was wrong. And he talked about making empty vows like that was actually evil. Some people today read Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, and I think we have that verse we can throw up on the screen there, don't we, Chris? They misunderstand Jesus, and they say that you should never make a promise to God or to anyone else. But that's not true. There are five places, at least, that I have found in Psalms alone which talk about the promises and commitments that we should make to God. In fact, in Proverbs 20, verse 25, it says this. Listen to this. It says, Don't trap yourself by making a rash promise to God and only later counting the cost. You see, that's the key. And that's Jephthah's first mistake. But the second question that I had, and this is an even bigger question in my mind than the first, is this. Why, why did Jephthah follow through on such a stupid promise? 
I mean, the Bible is clear. God is clear that human sacrifice is never okay. I mean, that, that is very, very clear in Scripture. You see that twice in the book of Deuteronomy. You see it also in the book of Isaiah. There are other places that mention this. God said he hates the idea of sacrificing another person to him. He said that it was detestable. And we also see in Leviticus chapter 5, which Jephthah would have known just as he knew this passage from Deuteronomy, Leviticus chapter 5 says that if you make a foolish and empty promise, don't follow through on it. Repent of it, God says. But Jephthah didn't do that. Why? I think it was his pride. You see, back in those days, it was an honor-based culture. Um, An honor-based culture basically says that... um, you, being a man of your word is very important. It's very similar to what our country was like some 200 years ago. When someone's honor was being attacked, you had this need as a guy to defend your honor, right? And you would challenge another guy to a duel. Duels were where two guys, one of them felt their honor had been attacked by the other, and they would literally stand back to back with each other with pistols in their hands. They would take a few paces, turn around, and shoot at each other. They would try to kill each other. Why? To defend their honor, to defend their reputation. No matter how you slice this story, this man, Jephthah, made and followed through on a rash, empty, ungodly promise. And that empty promise caused a world full of hurt and pain. Rather than trying to repent of his promise, he actually takes his daughter's life to save his reputation. Now, in the end, Jephthah is remembered as a, man, a great man of God. He's listed in Hebrews chapter 11 as a man of faith. But it wasn't because of this day. You know, I think it's worth noting, by the way, in Hebrews 11, that Jephthah's name is listed in the same verse as guys like Gideon, Barak, and Samson. Three, uh, three other men who are used by God in great victories in the book of Judges. But Gideon was an adulterer. Barak was a coward. And Samson, he picked a girl over the promise, the vow that he had made to God as a Nazarite. Now, let me just pause for a moment. As I'm sharing this story with you, you may be thinking, David, that is without a doubt the worst story I have ever heard you tell in my life. Right? How could there possibly, is there even a moral to this story? Well, I'm glad you asked. Yes, there is. There are a few lessons, although very few. There are a few lessons we can learn from this horrible, crazy story in Judges 11. And the first thing that I think we should look at, the first lesson we can learn from this really important story is this. Promises honor God when they start with God. Promises honor God when they start with God. As we've already seen, making promises or commitments, they're a good thing. It's something that I don't think we do enough of in this world today. Today, I think many people, particularly in our culture, have the opposite issue. We prefer to keep our options open oftentimes, and we seldom ever commit to anything, which also causes others at times to suffer. Pastors in churches around America today, they all have this phrase that they talk about regularly called the 80-20 rule. Have you ever heard of it? The 80-20 rule? You know what the 80-20 rule means? It means that 80% of the volunteering in a typical church is done by 20% of the people. Now, 
Grace Community, we are an exception to that rule, that we have more people serving and giving of their time and their talents to make an impact in our community and in our church than that. But we do so even though the culture of Tucson totally fights against commitment, and particularly timely commitment. Making promises is a good thing. It's a godly thing. But only if the commitment is inspired by the heart of God in the first place. If God speaks to your heart and he asks you to take a step and to do something for someone or for an organization, that's not an empty promise. But if you make a promise out of guilt or to try to make someone feel good about something and you don't intend to keep it, that's an empty promise. Now, empty promises, as we've already said, they only lead to pain. But I'm sure we've all done it, haven't we? I have. In fact, Believe it or not, one of the reasons I'm standing here or sitting here today is because of a very stupid, empty, Jephthah kind of promise in my life many years ago. 25 years ago, I was in college at Georgia Southern University working toward a degree in journalism. I had walked away from my faith. I was studying a lot of different philosophies in college. And one night, my freshman year, I overdosed on alcohol. And I flatlined. I, I, I nearly died. It was the one time in my life when I actually looked down at my body and saw my body there. And in that moment, I thought to myself, oh, shoot, what have I done? And that moment, I was all over. I was all like Jephthah in that moment. I'm like, God, hey, God, God, if you're really there, then prove it and save my life. Get me out of this mess. God, and if you do, I'll, I'll do whatever you want. I'll, I'll be a preacher. I'll talk to people. I'll, I'll serve you. I'll do whatever you want. But get me out of this mess. It was a rash, empty promise, I know. And I wasn't impressing God with that promise, although I thought I was at the time. That was a promise that a few years later, God reminded me of. And I no longer saw at that time in my life as foolish. And I followed through on that promise. And I've never looked back. Which leads to the second lesson I think we can learn from our story today. And that is that promises are meant to not not be put off. God makes very clear to us in the Bible that we should make promises very, very carefully. Because following through on our promises is a big deal. It reflects the goodness and the faithfulness of the God that we know. The God that we tell others about. Numbers chapter 30, Matthew chapter 12, they both say that God expects us to keep our promises and that one day we'll give an account for those promises. You know, there's one guy I know, a really good friend of mine, a great guy, but he has a really hard time following through on his promises. He's a Christian guy and he means well and he makes a lot of promises to people. He will say he's going to do something. He will say he's going to be somewhere and he just doesn't show. And the sad part about it is this guy, although he's an amazing guy and I like him a lot, everyone around him knows that he won't follow through on what he says. And I think that's a travesty, don't you? Let me ask you this morning, can people trust your words Can people trust you when you say that you're going to do something? Do you follow through and do it? Or do you forget? Can your your friends, can your family, can your kids trust the words that you speak, the promises that you give them, the commitments that you make? 
to them? Can your church family count on you in your life? When you make a promise, do you tend to follow through or do you forget? You see, God, God uses our faithfulness and our commitment to bring Him glory. So we should follow through on our promises without delay. Deuteronomy chapter 23 says, even if you follow through with your promise, but you delay in fulfilling it, you're still wrong. But I dare not make that point by making one last point, which is this. Broken promises are always, always forgivable. As awful as what Jephthah did, Incredibly, even that was forgivable in God's eyes. You know that? So are the promises that we don't keep. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, regardless of what they are, he is, God is faithful and just and will forgive us of those sins. You know, it was in part because of our broken promises to God that God sent Jesus into the world to make a promise of his own. Right? Jesus freed us from the toll of our own broken promises and our own, broken, our own sins by promising his life as a ransom for you and me. Jesus freed us from our own broken promises and our own sin with the price that he paid on the cross. And thank God that promise was not an empty promise. But it was one that Jesus kept for us. You know, there's a promise that we have made here as a church at Grace Community. And that promise is that we will do any and everything that we can to reach any and everyone in our community, regardless of background or age, for Christ. It's a commitment that we made to follow through on the Great Commission. And it's one that we have taken very seriously and one that God continues to bless as we follow through on it, as we invest and invite in, uh, as we invest in the lives of others in our community and we invite them to church, we find that we're following through with that promise and we're bringing God glory. But you know what? There is one little area where I think we could do better on our promise. And that is with our passion and our desire to reach those of the millennial generation for Christ. Those in the ages, age range from 20 to say 35. Now, as, 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 a, as a body of elders you know, which, for which I'm a part, we have committed last year to something called Friday Night Life. And some of you who are younger in the room today, you've been a part of that. Friday Night Life is an opportunity for those who are younger and perhaps who have, family, who have kids to come here on Friday night. And this campus is used to minister to them and their kids. We provide uh, child, not only child care, but we provide meaningful children's ministry during that time while young adults are meeting in small groups all over campus and sharing life together and studying God's Word together. And we've seen some, some success from that. We've seen some millennials, some young people get involved in, in faith and in, in church as a result of that. In the last few weeks, we've taken another step. And that is that we've decided to, host, to start a third worship service here at Grace that meets at 1045. Many of you may not know that. It's, it was by design. We thought, you know what, we, we need to figure out, we, as a, a group of elders, we decided we need to figure out how we can reach those that no one else is reaching in our community. And the millennial generation is front and center on that list. And we're thinking, if what we're doing isn't working as well as it could be, then what can we do that we haven't done before to reach them? 
And so we've started this, this third service, this cafe service is what we're calling it right now for want of a better name. And it meets in room two at 1045 every Sunday morning. We've been doing this for about maybe six weeks now or so. We're doing this because we believe Christ has called us to be a truly intergenerational church who meets the needs of all of those in our community. Now, this service is geared by design to be comfortable to those who come who are young adults. It's more relaxed. It's more informal. People sit in tables rather than in rows. And the, and the goal of it, in addition to worshiping God, is to build community, to build relationships, even while in this service together. Now, this isn't a service that's just meant for young people. Let me just make that really clear right now. We're designing it in part because we know that it will be attractional to young people, but we also believe that we are to be an intergenerational church, including in every service that we do. And we believe that many of us, and many of you even in this room, regardless of your age, might find some real value and enjoy that service that is done a little bit differently than we do in here on a Sunday morning. Now, it's very much in the beta stage. It's experimental at this point, but I want to encourage you at this point to please try it out sometime. As I said, it meets in room two at 1045 each week. And in addition to going, if you want to try it out, come and bring feedback to Pastor Chris and those on that team that are trying to figure this out. Because we need your best input before we even mention this to our community and open the doors to this, to our, open the doors to this service to our, to our community. By the way, let me also ask you, pray for our elders. Pray for our leadership here at this church. They have made you a promise. And that promise is to lead you the best way they possibly can, to shepherd this community and anyone who comes into it. And they are working hard to hear God's voice and to lead us well. And I thank them for that. So as I said, empty promises, they only lead to pain. But we honor God when we follow God's lead and then we follow through. Maybe... Maybe you've never really even considered the promises you make before. Maybe the words, I promise or I swear, never even come out of your mouth. But maybe you, you do commit things, you commit yourself to things, and sometimes you don't always follow through. Or maybe, maybe you're like that other group I talked about this morning, as I said, who don't commit to anything or anyone because it's, you find it's just easier for you that way. Either way, those are opportunities that are missed to glorify God. God is glorified when we listen to him, when we follow his lead, and then follow through. With our friends, our families, our church, our community at large, and even our God, one-on-one each week. So I want to close by asking you to try something. Just during the weeks of this series, I want to ask you to pay attention to the promises that you make. Maybe, maybe for you what you can do is pull your cell phone out of your pocket and set an alarm for the time that you typically go to bed that just says, think about my promises. And in that moment when your alarm goes off and you're in bed and you're getting ready to go to sleep, you ask yourself and you ask God, God, did I make any promises to anyone today? Did I make any commitments to anyone today? I want to encourage you, just during this series, to do that as an exercise. Think about it. Think about the promises that you've made to others or to God, regardless of how small they are. 
and jot them down. Jot them down on a piece of paper by your bed or maybe open up a little note in your phone and, and jot them down. And here's why. Before I even tell you why, maybe some of those commitments are as small as thinking about maybe the time that you earlier in the day where you said, hey, I can help you with that next week. Make, I'll, I'll, I'll get follow up with you. I'll get back to you. I, or, hey, why don't we grab coffee? I'll follow up with you in a couple of days and we'll find a time. Maybe, it's, maybe you hear someone who shares with you a need that's in their life and they're praying that God will, will intervene and you just quickly roll, it rolls off your tongue. I'll be praying with you about that. In this exercise each evening, write down those commitments that you make. Write down that commitment. I promised to pray for so-and-so through this time they're going through. Maybe you run into someone who's in need and you, you, just, you very naturally say, you know what, I want to be here for you through this time in your life. That's a promise. That's a commitment that you're making. Would you be willing to write that down? Say, God, I did say that today. Maybe it's something that you sign up for at the church or in the community somewhere. You, you stop saying you're going to do something or you're going to be somewhere. Write those things down. And then each, each night as you go back and as you write down your new promises, look over the ones that you've already made and ask yourself over the next few weeks a question. How many promises do I tend to make in my life? How many commitments do I make? And do I follow through on them? I don't know what God will show you through this exercise, but I just felt like God put it on my heart to share it with you and to give it a shot and see what God might show you through this little exercise for the next few nights during this series. Empty promises. They only promise pain. But we honor God when we follow his lead and we then follow through each and every day. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this opportunity today to get into your word. Lord, I pray, I hope that this crazy story from Judges 11 has actually impacted some of us today to help us see the value of watching our words carefully and not shying away from making promises or commitments, but Lord, only making ones that you prompt us to make. Lord, would you help each one of us in this room, each person who is listening online, to be extra, extra sensitive to your voice, to help us to hear in those moments when you're tugging at our heart and you're asking us to take a step forward, when you're asking us to take a, a step of commitment, to, to promise something to someone that we love or someone that we know, or just making a promise between ourselves and you, God. Lord, help us to be mindful of those promises. And Lord, help us, remind us to follow through on them, to be men and women of our word who follows through on promises. Lord, as we are here this morning, I also just feel like you're putting this on my heart once again today. Lord, if, if there's someone who is in this room or someone who's listening online and you're here today and you know, this message has impacted you in, perhaps in some way. But what, it, the, what it's done for you is it's really made you think twice about your relationship with God. Maybe you're here today and you've never made a promise or commitment to God at all. You've never, you've never promised your heart or your life to God. You've never promised to surrender yourself and your wills and your desires to the one who loves you and created you in the first place. This morning, what would it look like for you to make your first promise to God? And that is a promise to surrender, to 
just lay your heart out before God and say, God, I want to live a life that brings you glory, that honors you. What would it look like for you to surrender today and to make your first promise? Maybe today you're here and you, as I shared this message with you, you think about the broken promises. You're, you're dwelling on the promises that you've made where you, follow, where you haven't followed through and you're sensing this guilt and this disappointment. What would it look like for you to just offer those up to God and repent and be able to walk away from them entirely? Or maybe even recommit your heart and your life to God today. If that's true of you, I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer in the silence of your heart right now and allow the Holy Spirit, allow God's Spirit to start working in your heart and your life to bring the change that you want to see in you. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we confess that we are so frail and broken and we, we make promises at times that we don't keep. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us of all these different ways that we have disappointed you, that we've broken your heart. Lord, we are, we are frail, broken human beings. And we recognize today that we need a perfect God to guide us and to steer us in this life. So, Lord, we come to you today and we confess our sins, all those things that have disappointed you, God. We ask that you would forgive us of those things and that you would forget them and put them away. As we confess to you that you, Jesus, are our Savior and our Lord who died on a cross so that we could live and live abundantly. Lord, we ask that you would come into our hearts and fill us with your Spirit and begin to change us from the inside out, starting with our promises and our commitments. Lord, as we make these promises to you and to others, may you lead us on an adventure in this life. An adventure filled with excitement and joy where we see you move and work as a result of our faith and our commitment to you through thick and thin. For it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.